I'm going to move this up just a little bit. Welcome. I have uh, never done this before like this, so this is my first time teaching to adults. I've been teaching uh, the youth for the last couple of years with my wife um, and another family, the McCulloughs, that, that moved uh, to Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. So this is the first time that I've actually spent time in front of a group of adults teaching um, through things like this, but I'm excited. Um, I'm excited because uh, what I'm about to talk through and the book that I've read um, that's prepared me for this is something that's it's a topic that I really enjoy, and I've, I have, have varying different levels of experience with Christian community, um, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit, but um, I am really excited about um, our conversation this week and next. Um, with the youth, our conversation and our time together is always that, just that, a conversation. So I'm going to be asking questions. I think you're all used to that. And I want to hear your feedback, where you all are coming from. And so this idea of Christian community, I understand that people come from a lot of different backgrounds when they think about Christian community. And probably a lot of things pop into your head and you might have feelings that are good and you've had good experiences or you've had maybe poor experiences. Um, maybe you feel like you're really in Christian community right now or maybe you feel like you're really far from it. But one of the first questions I want to ask y'all and hear back from y'all is, what is your background in Christian community? Give me two to ten words. It can be an adjective. It can be a small sentence. Whatever you think um, about Christian community, when that word pops up in your head, what do y'all think? Hard but worth it. All right. Why is it hard? <laughs> people are difficult. Christian community would be great without people. <laughs> I think about that a lot. Who else? Two to ten words. Two words, very small. It's a happy place. Yeah, it can be very relaxing. Can it be very stressful? Have you ever felt a lot of stress living in Christian community with other people? Sure. Fellowship and sharing? It was a social church? Okay. Growth. Okay. A place for growth. I think that for all of us, there's always a room, uh, always room in our understanding for what Christian community is. No matter what your background is coming from, whether it be good or bad, I think there's always room for growth of understanding what Christian community is and how it plays out in our lives. And so I think this study that we're about to have, no matter what your background is, I think it, it can have real fruit um, and, and real um, good place to grow in our understanding together. So I'll give you an understanding of my background in Christian community. I was born as a pastor's kid in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, then my parents, uh, my dad was a pastor at a small church, very small town. I can't even remember, but uh, there was like a grocery store, and that was about it. Um, and grew up a pastor's kid. I'm the, I'm the middle child. 
from there, moved to a couple different churches where my dad pastored, and then my dad and my mom decided to start taking short-term mission trips to Russia. And so after a couple years of doing that, they decided to become full-term missionaries to Moscow. And so I moved from, uh, at that point, we went from Arkansas to Minnesota and from Minnesota to Moscow. And I lived there for eight years. And when I was there, I went to a Christian high school, um, Christian missionary kid school, um, and then went all the way through high school, graduated from high school, and decided to go to a small school called Laterno, which is two hours near here, um, east of here. And that's a Christian college as well. And once I graduated there, uh, I got a job at L3. And so I showed up at Crosspoint um, pretty much um, immediately. And so my Christian community, um, I don't know if there's ever been a lack of Christian community in some sort of form. I don't think I've ever been outside of Christian community in some form. I've always been a part of the church um, in some way or another. And, but even though I'm a part, I've been a part of that, I don't know if I've always had a proper understanding of what I thought Christian community was. I think in high school, um, as part of our youth group and the connections that I made in high school with a lot of my friends, we thought that we had this great Christian community based upon how we connected with one another. Um, even you know, studying the Word together, I think a lot of it was guided at how we felt about the Word and how we felt about one another, about our relationship, and about our community in this kind of close-knit missionary kid community. And that Christian community really wasn't based on Christ it was mostly based, um, I think, in my heart on how I connected with other people. Um, so once I graduated from high school, I moved on to college, and kind of the same thing developed there, where I had a lot of connections, did a lot of the Christian-y things. I did accountability with other guys. I did book studies. I was a chaplain on a floor. I did a lot of Christian-y things, um, and I... I did know Christ, but I think I put a lot of my hope in Christian community on what I can glean from other people instead of what I can glean first from Christ. So that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Um, at some point in college, I can't really remember when, I got connected to a book um, called Life Together. It's very small, so you can read it very quickly. Um, it's by this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. But when I got connected to this book, it, this book is about Christian community and how Christians are supposed to live together and God's design for Christian community. So a lot of my understanding was brought to light from what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in this book. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he was a German minister and theologian um, around the time of World War II. Okay, He studied in Germany, studied in the U.S., studied in London at various seminaries, and ministered um, in the U.S., and ministered in Germany, and ministered um, in the U.K. And during the time, um, right before World War II started, um, he started several different ministries, teaching and preaching without, throughout, throughout Germany, and uh, was very frustrated because he continued to get shut down and told not to preach and teach um, based upon this growing Nazi party. And so when he was frustrated, he decided to move to a place where he could teach freely, and that was, that was London. And so he moved off there for a little while, um, but then was drawn back to Germany later because of this underground movement of Christians that were trying to still um, teach and preach uh, the word in Germany. And if you know anything about that time and about... Um, the, the church in Germany, there's this thing called the Confessing Church and this underground movement that went along with it. And it was about 
training men um, and women to teach and preach the word. And it was kind of an underground seminary. And so he got pulled back into that. And he continued to preach um, and teach. And in 1943, he was imprisoned by the Nazi party um, for um, a year. Um, In 1944, he was transferred from prison in Berlin to um, Flossenburg concentration camp. Um, And that's where he spent the remainder of his life. He was there for a year. And even though he was pulled pulled out of normal life in Germany, put into prison, put into a concentration camp, he continued teaching and preaching. He never stopped that. It just looked a little bit different. Um, he was very bold in his faith. Um, he's written several books um, throughout those times. And in 1945, he was executed um, for his faith at Flossenburg in the concentration camp. And this, was, this happened only two weeks before the U.S. liberated that camp. Um, and so his legacy in this book... Um, is um, very powerful, and he, he has written this, this book uh, very eloquently, and he's connected a lot of dots, um, and we're going to talk through some of those um, tonight. Um, I kind of want to tell you all, too, the things that we're about to talk about, they're not rocket science, they're not deep theology, they're not things that are very, I didn't do any word studies, I didn't do anything like that, I just read the word and read what he wrote, compared it against it to see that it was true, and I'm trying to, those are the things that I'm bringing you tonight, so... Y'all have been um, especially equipped lately as well, since we've walked through Hebrews, um, talking about how to live with one another. We've walked through parts of Ephesians already, and now we're getting into the spiritual gifts, where we're talking about a lot of the things that, that, wa- that go hand-in-hand in hand with Christian community. So as, you, as we go into this, don't think that this is beyond um, any of the things that, that you're capable of understanding or even researching and, and, and learning on your own um, after we... Uh, talk. So let's open to Psalm 133. It's a very short psalm. All right. Psalm 133 is three verses. It says this Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Running down on the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I'm kind of convinced this is my psalm because it's got my name in it. And my name kind of rhymes with Hermon, Sherman, kind of, kind of goes in there. So um, I don't have a beard, so... It must be talking about someone else, I think. But it does talk about community. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. So from these verses, what do you see about community? It's pleasant. Yep. Any other thoughts? I'll talk about what the do of Herman is here in a second. Right. Right. 
Yeah, what's the direction that that takes? It's going from high to low, right? So the examples of the oil running from the head down to the beard and the dew coming from the sky to the ground is an example of uh, Christ reaching out to us, right? So there's a direction in here, right? Um, the second part of that verse talks about the dew of Hermon. I talked about this with Scott a little bit. The, the oil on the head, I think, is a pretty good example, or a pretty good picture in our head, but the, the dew part might be kind of a stretch. And so the Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon is a group of mountains in Israel, okay? And it's probably amongst those range of mountains, it's about the highest point in Israel. And what happens is if you look at, I Google Maps this, right? I looked at this mountain range, and if you look at it, you've got this kind of snow-capped area of mountain range and kind of green around it, and then if you zoom out, you're right next to the desert, right, because it kind of borders Syria and all that, and we start getting into very deserty area. And so if you, if you look at the, if you think about this uh, example of the dew of Hermon, the dew is very thick up there. Scott was telling me that he, he studied this um, a couple of years ago and, and read one of the... Uh, um, one of his commentaries said that the dew was so pervasive that it covered everything. It was so thick, it was like everything was wet. And so if you consider community as a blessing from Christ that's coming from above down and it just invades and, and um, covers all of the things below it, right? And Mount Hermon is actually a source of water supply for a lot of things in Israel and the surrounding areas. It's supplying water to rivers and streams and in the winter, when snow comes and uh, stays on the mountaintops, spring comes, melts, all that water goes down. And so if we think about community the way it's shown here in Psalm 133, it's a blessing. It's something that, we, something that is good, given from above. It's life-giving. And in the first verse, it says it's something that we should, we should pursue. It, it's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, we're, we're called to pursue Christian community, right? Where does Christian community come from? Yes, it's a good answer. It's a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a different relationship. Yeah, it's a sacred thing for us as believers that God has gifted and granted us here on this earth that we're aliens in this world. Yep. Yep, I agree. Yeah, so the answer, where does this unity come from? It comes from Christ. It comes from God. Um, and it sounds like a very Sunday school answer, right? Because when we were in the youth, we were always asked questions like, you know, like that, and everyone's like, Jesus, right? Jesus is always the answer to the questions we don't know, and most of the ones we do know, actually. Um, so that's kind of joking, but that's really the core of what I'm talking about today, and the core of what we're talking about next week, is that Christ is the reason we have community together. He is the core of Christian community, and he's the only way I can connect with any of y'all. He's the only way I can connect with God, and so that's what we're about to go talk about. So with removing Christ removes Christian community. Outside of Christ, we're just a building, a group of people hanging out together that morally maybe are upright, but without Christ, we have no core. Uh, we have no hope beyond ourselves, right? 
So I've got two points tonight that I'm going to talk through, and I'll tell you what they are ahead of time, and then I'll kind of walk through them. Um, the first one's kind of long, so I'll repeat it twice. But um, point one is Christian community is created and held together in Jesus Christ, through which we have reconciliation between God and man and between man and man. I'll say that again. Christian community is created and held together in Jesus Christ, through which we have reconciliation between God and man and between man and man, between each other. And the second point is that Christian community is not a human ideal, but rather it's a divine spiritual reality. Christian community is not a human ideal, it's a divine spiritual reality. We'll talk about this. So the first point, let's open to Colossians 1. We're going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Fine. No, just kidding. Christian community is not a human ideal, but a divine spiritual reality. You're very welcome. <clears throat> so we're going to start reading in Colossians 1, 15 through 23 is where we're going to be headed to right now. He is the image of the invisible God. We're talking about Christ here. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you step back and read through that, or just look through that again from a high level, that's salvation in a very short form, right? He's talking about Christ creating all things, holding all things together, his death on the cross, and salvation only through Christ. So if we look, look through here real quickly and summarize a couple of the key items. God created all things, all men, for himself. All things that we can see, the things that we can't see. God was sent from, Jesus was sent from God, being fully God and fully man. In Jesus, all things are held together. Community is held together through Christ. Nothing exists apart from him. It says that Jesus is the head of the church. And without Jesus, the church is just a gathering of moral people like we just talked about. It says that the church exists for his preeminence, which is kind of a big word that says it's just here for his glory to make more of him, to make him famous among the people that we live among. Through Jesus, God was pleased to dwell with man, and through Jesus, man was reconciled to God via the cross. It's amazing to think that God wish, wishes to dwell with us intentionally because we can look around 
maybe not necessarily in this room, but I'm sure you can connect in your head somewhere of people that you don't wish to dwell with. <laughs> I meet them every day. <laughs> people that I don't wish to dwell with. Sometimes it's temporary. I don't really want to wish to dwell with you for the next 20 minutes. Sometimes it's, it's a different kind of relationship where I just don't want to have to connect with you very often. But God was pleased in spite of all of our grossness, in spite of all of our sin, to dwell with us through this person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And so if we uh, can see that God wishes to dwell with us, that should spur us on to want to dwell with one another well, right? So, Cody, I have a slide. I have three slides. Graphically, they're beautiful. Oh, the first, no, the other one. Yeah, that one. So this is, this is kind of what we explained. I'm sure this has probably come up in like Sunday school somewhere before or VBS or something that you've seen, right? There was a bridge one where, where we were on this side and Christ is on this side, or God was on this side and there's a bridge. It's kind of the same thing. So God and man, God created man, but there was a separation, right? And Christ filled that separation. And that's what we just talked about, right? So I know it's very simple, but it's very core to community, right? I'll be building on this. So without Christ, we have no reconciliation between God and man. He's in the middle. <clears throat> All right, so keep a finger in Colossians, and let's move over to Ephesians. I've got another satellite for us to look at. Ephesians 1, 7. <clears throat> I'll note something as you're turning over there. In Colossians, the ones that we just read, verse 20, it says... And through him, he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or on heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So connect that word peace. Christ came to make peace, okay? Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says this. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So if you connect that word unite to the word we just read in Colossians, peace, Colossians says that making peace by the blood of his cross, things on heaven and things on earth, Ephesians says unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So Christ came to bridge that gap, heaven and earth, right? The next step is the reconciliation Christ does between man, between each other. So we're going to flip one verse or one chapter over to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2.11. So some context for Ephesians is that Paul was writing to a, a church that was split. You have Israelites and Gentiles trying to be living together in community, living together in the same physical space, coming from very different backgrounds, right? And so there is a huge uh, hostility between the two of them, right? Ben, I think, spoke on this several weeks ago when we were talking about Ephesians. There's a huge hostility, and it, he, he explained it as if you can't think of two more different people, two more different sets of people, that they are, there's almost too big of a wall to make any kind of, of unity between the two of them. And so um, in Ephesians, Paul is speaking to that. So Ephesians 2 11 through 19. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you Gentiles at that time separated from Christ, 
that you were separated from Christ, excuse me, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. But now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I'll stop there for just a minute. I don't know how more clear you can make it. Christ came to do this, right? Reconcile God to man. And then he also did it to reconcile man to man. So Cody, go to the next one real quick. So we had a different, different axis here, right? We got vertical and horizontal. So Christ came to reconcile the vertical and reconcile the horizontal, man to man. Um, so you've all heard it said, the saying that says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. What do y'all think that means? What does that mean to y'all? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same? We're all, we're all the same, like we act the same, or what does that mean? Yeah. Say that louder. There's no obstacle. We have the same advantage. It's because we have the same disadvantage, which is sin, right? Our, our sin nature is common amongst all of us, right? Any other thoughts that are connected to what it means for the ground to be level at the foot of the cross? thoughts So I don't know if you heard Blaine, but what Blaine said is we are all equal going into Christ as being born in sin nature. On this side of the cross, we're all equal, meaning that we've all been adopted by Christ. We all have the same love of Christ. We all have the same hope in Christ. So it's even on both sides is kind of what he was saying. That's good. I think when Paul was saying that he was the worst of sinners, kind of sums it up in my head. We're all going in as the worst of sinners. We all have the same sin nature. We have all have the same separation from Christ. We're all on the other side of that gap, remember? Um, there's nothing inside of us that makes us good. And so we all have to look outside of ourselves to Christ for hope, for salvation, right? So we all, there's nothing inside of us, in any of us, that makes us good. And so we're all looking outside of ourselves to Christ. No one is better than anyone else. Um, and the same relationship exists between each other, right? If we're going to connect to one another uh, in a Christian community, 
there's nothing inside of me that allows me to connect to you in a better way than connecting to Christ first. We are equipped through Christ to connect to one another. Um, and we are only brothers and sisters with one another because of what Christ has done on the cross, bridging that gap and connecting man to man and man to God. We don't connect to one another in Christian community directly. So go to, go to the next slide, Cody. If you were to take that vertical and horizontal picture and kind of flip it on its side and look at just the man to man, I try to use people's names that I didn't know, so that's why there's some random ones up here. <laughs> if your name's on here, I wasn't thinking of you necessarily. Um, so if you were to flip that man to man, that horizontal axis over and kind of look at it flat, Christ is still in the center of that of that axis of that of that plane, right? And so when we connect to one another, we are connected to each other through Christ and not directly to one another. Okay, so the things that we're we're going to continue talking about is. What is it like when we try to connect to one another just by ourselves without Christ? And then what is it like when we try to connect to one another when we consider each other in light of the Christ, when we consider what Christ has done for us just as much as he's done for other people? Um, and kind of what our, our thought process is, in, is uh, and how they change in that. Um, let me get back to Ephesians 2. I think we stopped at 16. Um, I'll back up just a few verses and continue. For he himself, this is verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So verse 19, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. This is God building his church. So when we talk about the body of Christ, the body of Christ are people that are connected to one another through Christ only, having the same hope, the same sin nature on the far side of the cross and the same hope and redemption on this side of the cross, right? That is what the Christian body is. It's not the people that meet in this room necessarily, but it's the people that communicate, that connect to Christ, that have faith in Christ. We hope that it's everyone in this body. But when we try to connect to one another outside of Christ, that's when our body gets looking bad. We start bringing in pieces of our sin nature into the Christian community. So when we talk about the body of Christ, this is it. Those who, who seek Christ first, who seek Jesus first. Um, Christian community is a byproduct of knowing Christ. So if we're all pointing ourselves towards Christ, that's our goal. Our goal isn't Christian community. But because we connect to each other through Christ, that builds this Christian community because of what Christ has done on the cross, because of our commonality in loving Christ and, and following him. This is the thing that he is building. So that's my point number one. Did y'all get that? All right. Point number two is Christian community is not a human ideal, but a spiritual reality. So why do you think Christian community can fall apart? It's not God-centric or right, you take the Christ out of that, and there's really no meat to that. It's kind of shallow. 
Yeah. You're building your own kingdom, kind of? Any other thoughts? Bonhoeffer has a quote. It's kind of long, but I'll, I'll read it. And if you ever want to see it, I can show it to you in the book, or you can buy the book and read it. It says this. Bonhoeffer says, One who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. He is looking for some extraordinary social experience, which he has not found anywhere else. He is bringing muddled and impure desires into Christian brotherhood. When we want more in our community than what Christ provides, when we try to add stuff to Christ, that's not Christian community. We're outside of Christ at that point. So this idea of what a human ideal is versus a spiritual reality, what is the difference? How about this? What is an ideal? Do you all know what an ideal is? Can someone explain it? I have the definition here, but I'm not going to read it for a little bit. It's my choice. <laughs> no one? Yeah, that's good. It's a thought that you uphold, right? Anyone else? Talk, ideally speaking, I would do this, right? I'd be a millionaire, and I'd have lots of cars and all these things, right? Perfect. Right. Ideals. Yeah, put it in a, in a sentence that you might say or you might think someone else. It kind of helps it, right? Utopian concept, right? It's the best we could ever hope for. It, it, if I were to design something, this, this serves me the best, right? Human ideal. Yeah. So well, then what is reality, Patrick? I would like you to define reality. <laughs> We're sitting in it. It's, it's unideal. <laughs> yeah, that's what you said earlier. I remember that. You're not bringing one over on me. Any other? What's, 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 what's reality? What we're in, right? What Christ says our community looks like, that's reality, right? He created it. He who's holding it all together. That's reality. <clears throat> Christian community is not an ideal that we're responsible for creating and upholding. It's a reality of coming together through Christ. He built it. He constructed it. He upholds it. And we're a part of it because we love Christ, because we're connected to one another through Christ. Yeah. Yep. Certainly. We're, 
Yes, I totally agree. Maybe a way to, for me to rephrase that is, it's not dependent on me. Christian community, whether or not I choose to be in it, is not dependent on me. It's dependent on Christ and his work that he does in our lives and how he draws people to him, right? So I, I, I definitely agree. I'm not anti-structure. I'm not anti-responsibility. Um, we all have a responsibility. And next week, we'll talk about what, what are parts of how we live together. How can we build community better? What are traits, spiritual gifts, spiritual disciplines that we can pull into our life that builds Christian community? I completely agree with you, Bill. Um, okay. So human ideal, something that we try to build, something that we think is perfect, and then Christ's reality, spiritual reality. Um, it's not based upon anything that we have to offer. We're looking outside of ourselves um, for this spiritual reality that Christ is building. So how does this play out? Um, I have a couple application points that kind of stuck out to me to talk about the differences between how we think about human ideals and, and spiritual realities. One is we should not try to build our own ideal community. I think oftentimes what draws us to Christ is real. We get drawn to Christ by a separation from him, a need for redemption. And we get connected to a local body or we get connected to other believers. And when we see relationships and community break down, we try to fix it, right? We try to add things to it. We try to repair it. When things break down and I see those things in and around my community, man, I want to fix it. And I want to throw structure at that immediately. I want to you know, let's, let's organize our schedules so we can have time to meet and we'll talk about these books and we'll pray over these things. And those are good things. I'm not saying that. But when I put my hope in that, when I put my hope in that structure away from my relationship first with Christ and encouraging other believers that I'm in community with to point themselves to Christ, that takes away from Christian community when I put my hope um, in all of that. I think... We, we all might have a background where we can, we can understand this. You see people moving towards this ideal Christian community, this human ideal, following other people, and we get on the, the bandwagon, and we start doing very Christian-y things, things like that I thought I was a part of when I was in high school and college, and lose more focus on Christ. And then we start building this Christian community up, and we, we invite other people to come along with it, and we're actually inviting people to follow us. And we're not inviting people to follow Christ, right? That's the way it could happen and sometimes does happen. And then when I fail and I screw up because I'm a sinner, I just crumbled, could have easily crumbled a lot of relationships that I should have been pointing to Christ who is much stronger than I am. And that relationship should have been much stronger for that person in Christ than it is in me. So that, that's, uh, that's point one or application one of that. Uh, we should not try to build our own ideal community. The second one is, if God truly builds our community, and we believe that, we believe what the things that we just talked about, how he's the center, if, if Christ builds our community, we don't have the right to complain, to argue, to place people in our community or take them out of our community. Our community is built by Christ, right? I think there's plenty of people in here, you think, man, I'd really like to be further in my community from that person and closer to this person over here. And it could be many reasons. Maybe our personalities don't get along. Or maybe they're in the same phase of life that I am. Or they work at the same place that I do. Whatever it is. There are things in our life, our relationships, that want to draw us closer to people 
um, based upon how we feel. And we'll talk about that next week a little bit. But we don't have the luxury of trying to create our own community because when we do that, we're taking on the responsibility of what Christ is building. And we're taking um, the focus off of Christ and on us and what we're trying to build. Um, if you consider 1 Corinthians 12, which we've talked about recently with the spiritual gifts, um, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27, I think you'll remember it talks about different parts of the body, body being lesser than others. If we're trying to build our own community, we're not going to pick the weaker, lesser parts, right? My example is if you go back to high school or junior high and you're picking teams for dodgeball, who gets picked first? The strong kid, the tall kid, the kid that can throw, the kid that's agile, and then the person that's left out at the end are the smaller, skinnier kids with glasses. I normally wear glasses. <laughs> I was the kid at the end. So if we consider that in Christian community, there's no place for those weaker people, right? There's only places for people that build us up and build our ideal higher, right? But that's not Christian community. What Christian community is that we're all connected through Christ. And so if we think that someone else is weaker because of our perception, which is terrible, that's not what God says. God says every member of the body is needed and required, right? I have a personal example. It's kind of hard to talk about. Not that hard, but a little bit hard. I don't have a right to complain that the McCullough family now lives in Indianapolis and I still live here. The McCullough family is a family that just moved out of town. That very close to Krista and I and worked with youth for years together with. So they're kind of like very much our family, very much almost grandparents to our kids in some ways. But what the Lord did in all of that is the Lord called Scott away from Greenville. And he pulled him away from Greenville for a better reason. Scott followed Christ in faith. And I have to trust that my community that seems a little bit fractured and shattered right now is going to still be fulfilled in Christ. And that Scott and Lori and Libby and Will and Laney's community is getting built in Indianapolis. As they see Christ and other people around them see Christ, that's where Christian community is. It's not me trying to connect myself to someone else because I'm lonely. It's me connecting to one another through Christ. And when I connect to one another through Christ, God fills gaps. And he connects people to one another and he meets needs. Um, so that's my personal example. I think you all probably easily connect to some of that. In life, we all have relationships and they all come and go. And so that, that connectedness, connectedness to one another and our hope in Christ, they go together. Our hope is not in people leaving, people coming, all of that. My last point is God's design is better than ours. Looking back on the nation of Israel, how many times do you see the nation of Israel choosing to build their community and their kingdom the way they want to? And the thought that I had last night was just thinking about the kings and the nation of Israel saying, look, all these people around us, they have these cool kings. They have these people that they're all leading and following. And they said, I, I want kings. And God said, okay, you want kings. Here are kings. These are men, not God. And the nation of Israel followed men for a long time. And they paid over and over again for following men and only having hope in men and not having hope in Christ. So God's design for community is so much better than our design for community. What we think is our ideal, we build this structure so high in the, uh, up into the air, it's nothing compared to what Christ's reality is, what Christ's spiritual reality of community is. 
Um, and it's hard to separate what we think is really good and really great and what we want to build from, from maybe what we don't really see yet or what we don't know is there and what Christ is doing. And that's hard. It's a struggle. Um, but we have evidence from the word of God, from the nation of Israel, that God's way and his building of community is better than ours. Um, I think sometimes we forget who we are. If we read back through Colossians and Ephesians, we remember we are Christ. We are redeemed and reconciled only through Christ. We belong to him. Um, we follow him. Um, and remembering that and checking that thought in with God's design is better. This is what his hope is for Christian community. And it's not that we are building something on this earth to satisfy some gap in our heart or our lives. So, I'm doing pretty good. 6.53. Pretty good. I'm supposed to, you know, clean up right now and and go through some of the the final things. So, we'll do this here shortly. A couple thoughts for you all to take home with you. You don't have to answer them right now. You might not want to because they could be awkward. Do we focus our attention, our efforts more on the structure of community, maybe by planning events or meeting with people, which are all good things? Do we focus more of our efforts and our attention on the structure of community rather than focusing our hearts on Christ, which generates true community? Are we so consumed with how good or bad our community is that we don't actually spend time in it or thanking the Lord for what he's provided? Are we more consumed with who we do or don't like in community that our hearts are just in constant turmoil and frustration that we can never seem to connect to people? Are we guilty of creating cliques in the body where we think maybe there's lesser members of our body that we don't really like to com- communicate with, connect to, um, that it's hard to, that we struggle to because people are sinners? These are very real questions that come up honestly, all the time, right? We might not think and connect that we're, we're, we're uh, having those issues, but they come up day to day. Your kids are having them at school, right? Kids are having them in Sunday school right now, probably, in Wednesday night. You need to talk about these things. Christ is the center of community. Christ is the center of the friendships between our kids next door, and Christ is the center of the relationships that we have in here, right? So to wrap up, Community is among brothers and sisters through Christ, and it's a blessing. We're told to pursue it. Community is only in and through Christ Jesus, and it's only through him that we connect to one another, right? We don't connect to one another by our own efforts or directly. We do it through Christ. Community is not a human ideal, but it's a divine spiritual reality that God has put in place. He has built and designed, and it's way better than what we could create, right? So next week... I'm going to talk about the differences between the spiritual reality and the human realities. What are the actual physical differences that we see in Scripture? What separates the spirit from the flesh? How we live in the flesh, how we live in the spirit, what the differences are between those. I'm going to talk about the effects of what it means to connect to one another in those two different realities. In the flesh, how do we relate to one another in the flesh, and how do we relate to one another in the spirit? And then a little bit about how to, talk, how to walk in Crosspoint in Greenville in community? What are the spiritual disciplines that we can take on? And I have a couple uh, different things. Um, I might send out some more material about different spiritual disciplines, different spiritual gifts that we can exercise that builds community, um, that encourages community, I should say. Let me put it that way. Instead of building, encourages community, allows Christ to be preeminent 
versus ourselves being preeminent. So if you have any thoughts or questions, please come talk to me afterwards. But uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you would send Christ from heaven to earth for our sake um, to dwell with us even when we are um, very far from you. Our hearts often curse you and our hearts are very far from you. Our minds are very far from you. I thank you, Lord, for what you have built, what you have designed in Christian community. I thank you for how our hope is in you and it's not in our flesh. It's not in, in my efforts that connects me to anyone else, um, but, but it's you. I thank you that when I connect to you, um, that, that I'm connected to, to, to Christ and, and to the body of Christ. And I thank you, though, that that body of Christ is, is existent today on this earth and that it will exist one day in glory um, and that there are things on earth that we can enjoy in Christian community together just like we will enjoy um, in heaven. I thank you for the relationships that we have. I pray, Lord, that the things that we talked about, the ways that we relate um, with one another, that we, we consider those this week and as we walk into next week, um, talking about how we're practically um, walking with one another. Help us to apply those things. Um, give us a, a heart of reflection this week that we might look at our community and consider whether or not we're the ones trying to build it or whether or not we're letting you, whether or not we're focusing our attentions on really trying to learn from you, trying to dwell with you, reading your word and praying, um, or if it's spent more in time with, with hoping in others and, and in meeting with others or um, hoping in, in people who um, are also looking towards you. I um, thank you for this time. I thank you for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I thank you for the words that he wrote. I thank you, Lord, that you use men like him, um, words from years and years ago, um, to just continue to open up more of your truth. Pray, Lord, that we be faithful walking in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, don't forget these papers. <laughs>